I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show let's start let's the do, show let's do it. cool it's the time time to sh- time to show yes have show, you been, show have we been recording native. this whole time Oh, just a little bit so many so many so many damn books my name is Christopher. My name is Drew. And this is So Many Damn Books, and Kate Ruculia is in the damn library with us. It's damn awesome. Uh, <laughs> we're so excited you could be here with us. Kate is the author of the novels This Must Be the Place and Bellwether Rhapsody, winner of the American Library Association's Alex Award. She received her MFA from Emerson College and now works for the Bethlehem Area Public Library in Pennsylvania. And you can find her at her name online. And she's also the recent author of Tuesday Mooney Talks to Ghosts. Woo. Woo. Boo. Welcome. Yeah, boo. Boo is a little more. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so glad happy to be here. Yeah. Oh, you must be a Halloween oh, yeah. person. Yeah. Like this Also, guy. Halloween people. Oh, were, yeah. you, were you always a Halloween person? Yes. Oh, okay. Because I came to it later. Oh, As okay. a young child, I, I'm an only child, and I just didn't super love asking strangers for candy. Sure. Like, that was awkward about, like, I just I've didn't want to go. I've always found that a little yeah. bit. My sister was, is really good. At, I mean, my sister, it, it now makes sense. She's a singer-songwriter and, yeah. a, like, touring musician, so she can go She's out and, like, up she just... straight-up extrovert, yeah. I was sick one year, and the story goes that she went out and she was like, can I have double candy because my brother... And she was... <laughs> my parents didn't have to say anything. She was convincing enough. She and, wow. like, sold it at, like, five. Did she give you the extra candy, though? She did! Oh, the- she wow. loves me very wow. much. That's a... That's, that's my sister would love. not do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it came to me later. I think it was probably even in, like, college. I was like, oh, no, Halloween is about... Like dressing up and watching scary movies mm-hmm. and yes, eating candy that you just buy yourself because you're yeah. an adult now. Mm. <laughs> and, yeah. and I love it. Every year I love it, I think a little more. Mm. Nice. Um, well, this drink that I made for you. It's very Halloween-y. Yeah. Well, there's smoke. There's smoke. Um, I check out our like Instagram October. to see the... <laughs> It's uh so I've been obsessed with smoked cocktails. Um, I had one at um the just like welcome drinks at y- your wedding. Oh, there was yeah. a really beautiful smoked cocktail. That was intense. They had a whole strip of wood like yeah. on the bar oh that they would just. And uh, and my parents sent me a blowtorch in the mail. That, can you do that? <laughs> yes. Like, was it labeled somehow? Or was it? Well, they used an intermediary, but they they sent it. Um, and uh, and I got some cherry wood chips. Um, you know, food grade. Not just random. It's fine. Um, Alcohol kills anything. (laughs) Exactly. Alcohol makes it fine. And uh, I've been playing with it, and I've wanted to use it for something. And I've also found out, this is a tip for all you home bartenders with a blowtorch, that if you want the smoke flavor and the smoke scent to stick to the glass, you should put your glass in the freezer. For a few like minutes before you actually Better pour the drink. Better drinking through chemistry. Yes. Uh-huh. So um, this drink I'm calling the Get a Clue <laughs> because there are so many clues <laughs> in the in Tuesday Mooney talks to ghosts. So many clues. And um and it's basically an old a kind of a take on an old fashioned. I um I have this aperitif called Sailors, which has this like sort of piney feel to it, and it's almost sort of like um, green chartreuse as well. Mm-hmm. It's got that herbal yeah. finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I've and then um, high west with uh, rye whiskey and uh, sweet vermouth, mm. and then um, Sarah got me some strong water uh, bitters, which is this very interesting company. Then these are native floral, is what they say. Hmm. 
and um, all together stirred and then poured into a glass that's been filled with smoke. Yeah. I just got a big I just got a big piney note. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's very nice. It is damn good. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad. Yeah, I'm really happy with how this turned out. Your book inspired it. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> uh, art be getting art. <laughs> um but before we talk about your book, which I can't wait to talk about. Um Oh yes, the next bit. <laughs> What'd you buy? Yeah. You go. I have two things. One is very Halloween-y. Uh, I subscribe to Warren Ellis's uh, Orbital Operations newsletter that he sends out every week. And it's mostly just him rambling on about the stuff he's working on and, and a couple of other interesting people here and there. But he d- makes recommendations. One of them is this, I guess it's technically a zine because it's not mm. full magazine size. Um called weird walk mm. that just this it they just put out their second issue for halloween uh it's a journal of wanderings and wanderings from the british isles oh. uh, it's beautifully designed and i was like fuck yes i absolutely need this um it's got photos and just weird spooky shit from the british isles and it's all themed around halloween oh cool very cool that's awesome and then in f- keeping with the the british thing i went out and i picked up Agent Running in the Field, ah. the new John Le Carre, the minute that it came out. <laughs> cool. I haven't started it yet. It's just star- the beautiful Matt Taylor cover. Um, his designs for the whole Le Carre backlist, I think, are the, the best unified author designs in publishing today. Mm. I love them so much that I want all of them on my wall. Designers take note. Yeah. <laughs> I have never read Le Carre. I, which I know, which I, so many people whose taste I respect so much are like, you have to read John Lake. All right. So yeah. It's waiting for me. Tinker Taylor is entry. Yeah. Okay. It's, I mean, it's perfect. What did you buy, Kate? I bought Empty Mansions, um, which is a nonfiction book by Bill Dedman and what's Paul Clark Newell Jr. Yes. So it is, it first came to my attention actually, um, when I had my last full-time job, I was a prospect researcher in fundraising, and we, we can probably talk about this oh, later yeah. when we get to the book. Um, and uh, she was um, – it came it came to the fore because I think she, she was in her um, hundreds when she passed away. And the last 20 years of her life, she was living – her name was Hugh Jack Clark. She was living in uh, one of the hospitals around here. And she was healthy. She was just living in the hospital and paying. She was, And she is, the, I think, the last surviving immediate heir of um, – a guy who was basically a Rockefeller, but kind of a little more under the radar. He made all of his money in copper. And so the book is a story of him and kind of how, how he came up in American industry and his daughter who ended her days fantastically wealthy, huge houses empty that she paid people to maintain, even though she hadn't been there in like 20 years. Mm. And she lived in this hospital and then she passed away. And then it came to my attention because in the industry I was in, there was all this kerfuffle like, well, the hospital was like, these vultures were waiting for her to die and to get all her money. Uh And like, and you're like, oh, well, that's not quite exactly how good fundraising (laughs) works. But, (laughs) but yeah, she's fascinating. And the book is fascinating. Wow. Sounds really interesting. Christopher? Oh, I um, I I was realize I I've had a couple uh, moments recently where I've been realizing I have like really strong sense memories of some kids' books, and I think it's because I've been doing my reread of Harry Potter. Oh. Um, but like now I'm like plumbing even further. I th- I think I had one of the f- these fugue states hanging out with you, and I sa- <laughs> suddenly started talking about Trumpet of the Swan, uh-huh. um, which that I, is a <laughs> that is a dream state book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but this is another one, A uh, Cricket in Times Square uh, by George Selden. I loved this book when I was a kid. There actually is a series which I re- sought out. Tucker's Countryside? Mm-hmm, and read, read which um, had nothing to do with all of the great things in Cricket <laughs> in Times Square like, at true, all. It's true, it's <laughs> true. It's like, you like the city? That's not in this. <laughs> um, and so it's a crazy, uh, it's a, such an, an insane book about a cricket who like becomes a sort of little viral star <laughs> in the uh, um in in the times square and uh makes friends with a cat mm-hmm. and a mouse you know as as you as, as you, one as does, one does. As a cricket yeah. would yeah. and so i'm i'm very excited to reread it and i hope that it just feels magical like it used to i think it will some of those like kids books they're just like they aren't they're just like incredible fables yeah mm-hmm. and i'm hoping that's what this feels like 
Or you go back and reread it and you realize how well it's written, mm-hmm. but you didn't yeah. realize as a kid. Oh, yeah, like, like, yeah, like Peter Pan by yes. Jay. Oh my gosh. Oh, Jay and Barry. That book is crazy. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. And um, Benicula by James Howe, oh. which I loved. Mm-hmm. And I went back and I was like, this is unbelievable point of view work. <laughs> there is There are some really, really cool versions of Benicula. There's like a furry one. Uh-huh. There's like the, one I've with seen the red, red one. Yeah. Yep. That's, the, I think, yep. the most recent one. They do one some I saw very cool, weird <laughs> versions. Let's talk about your book, Tuesday Mooney Talks to Ghosts. Can you tell the listeners what it's about? Sure. It is um it is a an adventure kind of quest genre template. Um, a lot of uh, people who've read it compare it to the Westing game, which is definitely in there, but more consciously I was trying to write, well, what is my Indiana Jones? novel oh Hell yeah uh, and it's very indebted to specifically last crusade which that came out i saw that in the theater and it was like three times <laughs> and read the movie novelization as you did in 1989 wow yeah it was awesome um but i really i loved indiana jones as a kid the way i liked all the sort of like independent self-supporting um characters uh like also jessica fletcher and murder she wrote uh, but i wanted to gender flip it i wanted it to be a female heroine i wanted to make it to set it in boston a place that i had just left when i started writing and I lived in Boston for 11 years. So I wanted to just like pay tribute to the city that I had lived in where I'd had an adventure. Um, but also like it's all kind of high concept stuff, but like the characters and the, what the characters are going through is very realistic and grounded, I think. And those are the things that I was going through when I was in my like mid to late 20s to early 30s. So it's a story of coming of age in your late 20s, early 30s, and mm-hmm. also understanding what wealth means and what generosity means and what you what kind of life you're going to build to go after what you want Mm. oh yeah that's how i would describe it also there's dumb puns (laughs) (laughs) lots and lots of dumb jokes and puns and (laughs) that's true i mean that i mean that was i i I keep using the spirit of with this just because the spirit of this book is so buoyant Mm -hmm. and like there's so like it, it is so like there's a there's like a pun or an action or like a funny scene in at every on almost every page and i'm just curious like how did you you know was that is that just how you come out and write or i I think so i also like i think that in many ways i'm very muppety so like that muppet ethos (laughs) of like be cute and furry but also like go for the easy joke (laughs) is something that i'm always kind of going for um but but i also it's so like the book does definitely have the spirit but it also is a grief book because mm-hmm. I was grieving not being in Boston anymore. I mean, I was writing it in 2016, 2017, 2018. Yeah. Just like grief is a condition of living in those years. Currently, this is this is not stopped. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so looking for and I think that that kind of comedy, that sense of comedy, that sense of jokes comes out of a reaction of pain mm-hmm. in some ways. Right. And the characters in this like are struggling yeah. in ways. But like they're but there's like this light um energy to it mm-hmm. on top of it so i guess that's just sort of one of the things that i always that's kind of one of the ways that i write a friend of mine he's like he, for such like a happy person you're always writing about death and grief and i'm like <laughs> they're probably related <laughs> and this is actually this goes back to halloween why i like it so much like it feels something genuine and honest about celebrating like there are scary things you're gonna die but we're alive tonight let's put on a dress and like yeah. you know enjoy it right like and celebrate life yeah, I, I mean that. I I texted Christopher. I wasn't even done the book, and I was like, "You got to make this your next book." <laughs> Yay! But it it I I said this right after um because in October I read spooky books. Yep. I post about them all over the place. This this feels like one of those instant October classics, like like Hocus Pocus or something. <gasps> Yay! Thank you. <laughs> and so much of it, I think, stems from the the sort of like opening action with Vincent price with a y <laughs> totally different don't see me but it's <laughs> like not the same this person. beautiful embrace of mortality in a very joyful way mm-hmm. and then it, it you know the, all of these characters are grappling with mortality in their interesting way but yeah. also there's this amazing plot <laughs> and i want to know which which came first did you uh, have these characters or did you have like a crazy guy's gonna die and set up a mystery well i I think I had that. I, I had the, like, I know I want to write Indiana Jones-ish, right? Like, I want to write this adventure. I know I want to set it in Boston, and I'm going to set it in Boston in October because that's the best month to mm-hmm. be in Boston. Yes. And and that's, like, my peak. Like, when I imagine my best self in Boston, it's in October. Um, 
and all these spooky things. I love horror movies. I love the Vincent Price with an eye, um, the Poe movies that he made with Roger Corman. That they just I get Ugh. such a charge out of those movies. Yes. <laughs> so like that kind of, but it's very like campy, kitschy, right? That aesthetic. And then and then actually of the characters, Tuesday took a while to get because if you start out writing in Indiana Jones, he's kind of a cipher, right? Like if you look at Raiders of the Lost Ark, like almost everything in that movie happens and he doesn't change anything. Right. <laughs> right, right. He's just kind of there. Right. And he's based on James Bond, who is right. like the ultimate cipher. Right. Like, exactly. No, yeah. Yeah. So she I mean, she was always this sort of and Dex is a character who's sort of her Watson if, and like a Sherlock to a Watson yeah. thing, right? <laughs> he kind of came out fully formed because I also worked in finance and was sort of like a frustrated creative finding comfort in the money that finance gave me and the stability. So so that, like, I understood what his sort of thing was. And he he came, he just sort of popped right off the page. Tuesday had to fight for her. Huh. Um, and because I started writing her as an Indiana Jones, a little more of a cipher. And because she's an introvert. She's yeah. a deep, deep introvert. Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I associated with her very deeply. Same. <laughs> she's, um, I, I, I'm glad you said Sherlock because I was like, this she is your like mm-hmm. she, there's so many types of sherlock in literature like yeah. there's all you mm-hmm. know and in television like there's always like they're gonna notice details but it's because of this um and i love that her what entree into like knowing a lot of details and using that to make like a profile of a person right. is from being a, a trying trying to get don donations yep. for a medical yep. being a prospect researcher yeah it was for four years <laughs> so that's from so talk about that and yeah. tell more about that to the to the to the good people <laughs> to the good, the good people the good people out there so yeah. i so like dex i worked in finance i never had kind of the job title that he had but i was an rfp writer which is request for proposal mm-hmm. writer um, but then I went and worked in fundraising, the job that Tuesday has, and it's a prospect researcher. It's this niche job in fundraising where you, I do not actually ask people for money, but um, there's an amazing amount of publicly available information on the internet in America. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable mm. amount. And uh, there are databases that you can sub- subscribe to that make it easier to find this stuff. But sometimes you just like, you know, poke around and like campaign contributions and find interesting things. Um, and so this is my job. I worked for um, Massachusetts General Hospital, uh, which is not the hospital in the book. Don't sue me. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and I used kind of my innate curiosity organization like i just want to know this about this person and and like good fundraising is about finding out what makes people care finding Mm. out what makes them tick um and not trying to manipulate them but to meet them genuinely like where they are and like i just i'll never forget the first profile i wrote was on this guy who invented a kind of heart valve and his father was also a cardiologist and had passed away. And like there were old profiles because his father, I think, was a doctor at the hospital. There were old profiles of him where he made like dorky dad jokes. And then there were new profiles of the son where he made like dorky dad jokes. And I was like, <laughs> look at your family and your life. And you're, oh, your dad has passed away, but he would be so proud. Like it was such a, a great job. For me as a person, it was a perfect day job, but it was also a fantastic job for an amateur detective yeah. <laughs> to like springboard off of. Mm. Wow. That's very cool. We should talk about Boston because all three of us are former Bostonians (sighs) at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, Today, I was working on a scene in the novel that I've been writing that's set at the Boston Athenaeum. Oh. And it's, there are so many, and it it has, I have gone very far afield from the real Athenaeum, but there are so many wonderful places in Boston and you bring so many of them to life. How close did you feel you had to come to reality or did you feel like you had leeway to make your imagined Boston? That's a really great question. It is definitely my imagined Boston. I mean, all of the places are real. Her apartment was my apartment. Oh, cool. That, um, and no spoilers, I guess, but there's a scene where they go into a theater that's under the ground. That's a real theater. Like mm-hmm. that's there under the Steiner building. Um, but I didn't actually, I didn't actually go into the Steiner building. And there's a scene where she like goes like, um, into the tea tunnels and like does stuff. Mm. She does things that I was not brave enough to actually do. <laughs> so they're definitely imagined. But but uh, I wanted more the feeling of what I felt in my Boston. My Boston's gone now too. I mean, it was five years ago that I lived there. Yeah. And like when I was just back, um, I read at Porter Square Books, which was so fun, but I stayed in like a little hotel that was not there five years ago mm. in Porter Square. So gentrification comes for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I wanted... I wanted um, accuracy. I wanted emotional accuracy. Mm. And I did also want some sort of like, because um, I actually watched Fringe the first fall that I was gone. Yes. Yeah. Which is such a good 
no, but instead in a Boston that does not really exist. I'm like, you don't get to win <laughs> from like a swamp. Like, no, actually, you do get to win from swamps. You, like, you, you don't. It, it was bad geography, so I didn't want that. Although there is a tea station in there that I got wrong, <laughs> which I feel awful about. I call oh. it Tremont Street Station. It's Boylston Street Station. Oh, and no. Oh. I, it's hopefully it'll change it in the paperback <laughs> or you we could just make the argument that this is a parallel boston yeah so. exactly you're gonna well that'll keep the bostonian pitchforks at bay it, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh for sure because <laughs> they're reasonable <laughs> about their like <laughs> their boston pride <laughs> I, I love the big sort of like, I'm going to leave my fortune to the people mm-hmm. um, that there's so many stories of that. Did yeah. you did you read anything of to to inspire you or to help you along? With? Nothing in particular. I think it really was just that the Westing game is a part of my DNA. <laughs> <laughs> so it just like bubbles up no matter what I do. Um, and uh, yeah, that's why this book I think of as my Indiana Jones book. And the book I wrote before this Bellwether Rhapsody is actually my active Westing game book because that one is about mm. individuals and pairs and like combinations of people kind of like who don't necessarily know each other, caroming off each other, which is what I think of as one of the most special thing about the Westing game. Um, but I feel like since I have um, written this book, I've seen all these sort of like um, someone just found something in the North End in Boston. I don't know if you saw this in the news. It was like someone wrote a book called The Secret, not that book, like another book called The Secret <laughs> in the 80s. And he had like he hid these like small glass caskets with like like a note inside and there were these really um like Byzantine poems you know and they were all hidden in like major American cities and yeah it was just like maybe a few weeks ago that they were doing some construction in this area where someone thought you know I always kind of thought like based on the clues that there was something hidden under home plate in this old um baseball diamond and because they were doing construction there they let him go in and he they found it wow. and like the, the man who wrote the book has passed away but his widow was there and she honored it it's like if you found each of these clues you could go to him and there were like seven gemstones that he would give you wow. <laughs> right and it's just like i mean the gemstones are not like super valuable but it's like holy crap like yeah. <laughs> you yeah. just followed this stranger's instructions and you found something it's just like such a cool way to think about connecting with people you will never necessarily meet there was a there was a mcsweeney's kids book like i don't know like five or six years ago that was like a clock and like each page of the book was a clue and they'd actually like hidden hidden stuff like a I think they were um, emeralds. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and I don't know if they were all... Fa- I was following along for a while, and there was like three that just like nobody was Nobody finding. knew where they were, yeah. <laughs> and I want, and now I want to look back into it and see if, see if anyone ever found, found it. But I love, I love trivia. I love um, treasure hunts. Like, <laughs> as an only child, when I got old enough to be like, you don't need to hide Easter eggs anymore, mom and dad, <laughs> I would hide, like, I would do like treasure hunts around the house for them to, si- to mm. find, but like <laughs> totally obscure, like like dumb jokes that I had to explain to them. They're like, Kate, this makes no sense. <laughs> like, no, look under the hutch. <laughs> yeah. I love the way that the internet is used in the treasure hunt. Cause this it, it, is my first book with the internet. In oh, it. oh, oh wow. talk about yeah. it. Yeah. I, I'm, I feel like the internet needs to be in more books. Yeah. Um, well, would you, do you want to finish your thought? Yeah, like, well, yeah. it's, I remember when I was at school uh, was when Nine Inch Nails released their year zero record mm-hmm. and they did a huge, international um like uh, arg a, yeah. a alternate reality game and there was like i met a bunch of people in boston common and like we were we all had like pins on and we went and we were looking for like a flash drive outside of the it's orpheum like proto geocaching yeah. yeah but it all like we were all connecting over the internet sort of in the way that like the the positive aspects of like the facebook group right. all coming together to work together to like mm-hmm. solve yeah. prices yeah. mystery yeah it's like it's like money and the internet are morally neutral it's like how do the people use both of those things <laughs> <laughs> right that makes them either <laughs> good or bad but yeah my so my first book i started writing it in 2006 so i think i just sort of conceptualized it as being like i think someone like mentions facebook but it's not like part of the plot um, my second book is set in 1997 and it's like a closed room mystery where I was like the cell, cell phones have ruined closed room mysteries so like I just want to set it in the past but this one you know because it was built on this job that I had that was so on the internet right like I, I had to reckon with that and I also did want to kind of think about that like 
I have met people online who I like really treasure <laughs> my relationships with them. I never would have met them mm. otherwise. Like our paths would not have crossed um, without the internet. And, and it is, it can be such a tool for good and also like a raging garbage <laughs> fire. <laughs> yeah. But it does date your book, right? Do you worry about that? <sighs> nah. <laughs> cool. I think like it, it does, but there's no way to not date your book. Exactly. Like yeah. there's like the, uh, the people who are, are they're fighting a fight that I think is like, yeah. stop beating your hand against a brick wall. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what you're doing, it, your book is, your book is dated. It's just, you're dated. Like you only existed during a finite period of time. Yes. Yeah. And you're <laughs> yeah. always like, like Mad Men is set in the sixties, but it's definitely about the early aughts, right? Like this, yeah. <laughs> but like this, I had to, I had to set it in 2012 to sort of get some of the references and things right but but so it was like fixed in a point in my mind and i'm fine with that Mm. yeah (laughs) yeah and i'm a pop culture jokey writer anyway so like that kind of stuff is part of it um there was an there's another character that we haven't even talked about and um (laughs) there's so many characters (laughs) uh, yeah there's yeah this is like four novels it is Um, and I'm I'm remiss because I'm forgetting her name, but the, it's the it's the girls that she's um too. Dory Dory yep uh, Dory That's Dory yep I <laughs> so <laughs> like like her her uh part of the book I just loved her on the page thank you um you know she was such a great new perspective to be in um to be looking towards as well um you know like why a next door neighbor what you know what do, do you have kids in your life like that. Well, not exactly like that. I do have, um, so dear friends of mine from college live in Lehigh Valley with me. And like I, in the last five years that I've been there, they have kids who are now nine, six and three. So I've watched them be mm-hmm. born, grow up. And like, that's just like amazing. But I also, I just love teenagers. <laughs> like I love writing from a teen perspective. Mm-hmm. And Dory is, I think she's 14. Um, and I also really love, like, I know when I was a teenager and had like sort of independent single women to look up to, like how important that was for me. So I kind of wanted to have that relationship in the book. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, I just like, I love that teenagers to me, the feeling of being a teenager, I don't, I didn't super love being a teenager personally, (laughs) but I remember it. Right. I remember it so clearly. It just feels like walking around with your skin turned inside out all the time. And like everything is life or death and everything is happening to you. And like that kind of extraness is also something I'm always (laughs) writing about. (laughs) I'm kind of a crank to 11. Um, so yeah, thank you. I love her too. I just like, I wanted Tuesday to have, someone who looked up to her and who could kind of who could sort of knock her off that pedestal in mm-hmm. some ways right because that's yeah. like part of what the relationship is about <laughs> yeah i mean she, dory feels like she's an equal in a, yes in a lot of ways like she's like she looks up to her but like not in a way that's unattainable right exactly i have a it's a, I, it's a very rude question oh yeah my favorite <laughs> Tuesday Mooney talks to go- Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I loved about the end of the book is that it is it is completely self-contained and yet I like I want to live in this Boston more. Mm. I want to see <laughs> So do I. <laughs> Tuesday, yeah. I mean, does it are you entertaining the idea of ever returning to Tuesday? Yes. Well, so <laughs> I love that face. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the reasons Okay, so this is the first book I started writing after I moved. I was actually writing another book when I moved that I gave to my agent, and she's like, are you okay? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, clearly not. But so I put that book away, although actually Tuesday was the sort of like tertiary character in that that I was like, I don't know what her deal is. I'm going to, so I airlifted her out, and she's a totally different person in this book, but I was like, cool. Girl named Tuesday who was born in Salem. Um, and you know i was just kind of freaking out i was i had like made this huge career jump i'm like now you're a freelance writer how's that working out i did not have a contract i you know i I smogged my savings so like i had some savings but i just i was like well you're gonna write a trilogy (laughs) you're just gonna write a trilogy and it took a long time for me i fought for the end of this book this the end of this book changed drastically many many times wow because i think i was trying to write every part of the trilogy in the first book and it was like kate just calm down it's already ambitious and crazy enough like just make it 
you know, slightly less ambitious in this one book. So in my mind, yes, there would be two other installments. Um, I'm not working on either of them yet, (laughs) (laughs) but I have kind of like a schematic of how they would follow like an Indiana Jones Mm. trilogy model. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, she's such like, I, I suddenly just thought of Claire DeWitt. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. those books are so good. <laughs> and, and I just, I'm like, I don't think Claire and Tuesday should hang out. <laughs> I don't think they'd really get on. No. No, but also that feels like in the same way that Indiana Jones is riffing on like old serials. Yeah. That feels like that, that matchup where it's like these two they hate each other oil and water but like they have to i don't know solve the murder of somebody (laughs) and it's just and like like, bex gets kidnapped or something yeah and you're like yes i'm here for this they have to team up yeah oh i I would read that you should get get you in a room (laughs) with sarah grand that would be amazing i would love to meet sarah grand (laughs) us too I also I want to talk about the other book you brought. I'm I'm ready to. I, oh. I, oh yeah, because yeah. like we've been talking about ghosts and there's ghosts in this too, and they're treated so differently. Yes, they and are. And this book, I mean, like, this is one of those. These are looking your book next to this book. Um, it's just one of those things that you just see like the breadth of what literature can do, what modern, that like, contemporary literature is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, With genre, yeah. outside of genre, yeah, yep. It's Severance by Ling Ma, and thank you for. Oh my gosh, you're welcome. Bringing it to us. Um, yeah. Would you tell us a little bit about why yeah. you recommended it to us? So, um, selfishly, because I read it and loved it, and haven't had a chance to like super geek about it with anyone, um, yet. But I love apocalypse novels, post-apocalyptic novels. When I was in grad school, my friend Nam and I did an independent study <laughs> of apocalyptic novels. Cool, cool. Um, so we read like Canonical for Leibovitz, which is awesome. Um, Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban, which mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. is just like unlike anything you'll ever read unless you read the middle part of Cloud Atlas, <laughs> which is a tribute to Ridley uh-huh. Walker. Um, and oh, there was another book that, oh, On the Beach by Neville Shute, which is just devastating. Mm. So I, I, I'm always like interested if I'm like, oh, it's post-apocalyptic. Tell me about it. But because I've read so many, it really takes a special one to sort of like smack me in the face. Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel mm-hmm, did that. And mm-hmm. this one did it. Yes. Um, it's such, it's, gorgeously written Mm. just beautiful beautiful prose and it does this like amazing structural thing where it's sort of like a i'm gonna say it wrong because it's one of those words that i just see written ouroboros with the Mm -hmm. the snake eating its own tail because it it's two narratives one that starts after the shen fever or the shen um do they call the shen flu shen fever i think it's shen fever shen Mm. fever has has wiped out, you know, New York is dead. <laughs> and um, Candace, the main character, has sort of met up with this band of survivors, but it's interspersed with the story of how the end begins as she is working in um, publishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it has, like, great inside baseball. I love books that teach me about, like, arcane things, like Bible printing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, yeah. sourcing gems for a pl- plastic oh, gems god. for the cover of a teen Bible. <laughs> oh my god, that is itself like a small. I was just doing my job act that yeah. like you don't know how many people it hurts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, it, I've said before that it's the perfect end of the world job. Yes. Like it's just like I, oh, like when you look back at that's the job that you had at the end of the world. It's like oh, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> I can see why yeah. that happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was and, coming to a close. It, it was, it was. <laughs> And there's so many, I actually just reread it again um, in preparation for this. And there's so many beautiful little moments. Like, so it's a, it's like this apocalypse story. It's a city story. It's a New York story. Mm. It's a millennial workforce story. Mm -hmm. Like the way that, and I see this in my jobs. Like I was working, I wrote my first two books on weekends and I got this like career in wealth without even trying. Mm. (laughs) It's like, I worked in the business of money. You just sort of fall into these sort of jobs that, are, are like meaningless mm, <laughs> in some yeah. way. And you just kind of keep grinding away in these systems that maybe you should not want to be a part of if you right. were thinking about it. Um, it's so good. It rem- <laughs> it, it's so funny. Like the relationship parts of the novel, mm-hmm. like her, her exes, yep. her big ex, like they were, it, I was starting to think of it. I've read since like the new me by Holly Butler yep. and, um, and you know, Otessa Moshfeg and like, Oh yeah. Y- yeah. You know, these, these novels that were, it's just like, you look at these relationships and it's just like the state of 
the state of dating is terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> um, and like everybody needs to be nicer to each other. Please. Please. My God. Just some <laughs> kindness, a little kindness. Yeah. Although I feel like the part where she thinks of his retainer, like left in that green mug forever is like, there's so many beautiful details like oh. that that are just like haunting. She's so good at the apocalypse yes. detail. Like the people wearing um, the masks and it says like Supreme. Yep. Across yeah. them. And I was just like, that's God, that's so... <laughs> <laughs> it, there's so many moments in this book where you just look up and you're like, I guess that's right. No, <laughs> golly. I read it a couple months ago with my book club, mm. um, right after we read Normal People by oh. Sally Rooney. Oh, interesting. And like both books in very different ways, but they're both looking at the millennial generation and they're looking at, at it from a Marxist socialist lens of mm-hmm. like, no, fuck this system. Yep. And it was so fun to read this book with a group of other similarly minded, but like coming at it from a different perspective, even if it's like a Warren Bernie difference. Right. But to Mm. actually like, we spent most of our conversation, not necessarily talking about the details of the book, but like launching off from the like, okay, so she's setting up these things. And like the fact that it's at a mall at the Mm -hmm. end, like all of these things that are so subtle that you could read the book without necessarily clocking it. it. But also in 2019, how could you possibly and it also like it's a zombie spin yeah. too, yeah. right? And a Romero like mall and like yeah, and it's and it's sort of like like it really sort of doesn't answer this question, but it's like what is the diff- When does a memory become harmful nostalgia? Right? Mm. When do you when do you just remember something and when do you get trapped in it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This was this is my question then is <laughs> is you know which which mall store would you live in? <laughs> oh, that's it. <laughs> Which which one would you you I know that, set like, up your Bob is in hot topic I think that's so funny yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, where would I go I loved that she was in um, an Origins which because it had a sink like <laughs> yeah. that, uh-huh. like that that's such like I love that sort of um, thinking. very practical yeah. yeah I would like to be in a Brookstone. Ooh. Oh, that's a, sure. Like, if it's near the world, I want to like sit in that massager chair every day. <laughs> like, I'm a little stressed out. <laughs> I'm thinking of the mall in my hometown, which the last time I went into it, solidly a third of the stores were We're vacant. Yeah. Sad. Um, Including, may it rest in peace, I guess, the Walden books. Oh, Mm. R.I.P. Which like would have been my choice, but I don't know. It's not, that's not a 2019 answer. If I had more drink, I would pour it out for the Walden books. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I actually over Christmas. B. Dalton. Oh, yeah. Um, I so I'm from Syracuse originally and a friend of mine who we both grew up in Syracuse and we both lived in Boston but we didn't get to be actually friends until we no longer lived in the same city it's just a modern condition story but we both came back and went to Shopping Town Mall just to sort of like we hear it's dead and it was fully like 80% 90% was gone and that Whoa. it was just like wow. a dead dead mall <laughs> that's and that's wild eerie eerie yeah yeah I mean I feel like the mall doesn't exist anymore which no. is which is it was so interesting to be back in one right as, as someone who used to spend a lot of time in the mall mm-hmm. um i think it is it's i mean there's just so many little things i thought it was interesting the way that there was internet in severance like she yeah. definitely mm-hmm, uses mm-hmm. it and but like they don't mourn it like no, when, once no. it's gone she's not like uh, she's not like glad and i think that that is that is the true like why i think apocalypse fiction is still so is we we love the idea that maybe we could get off yes (laughs) it's a a beautiful fantasy because yeah they're like we googled how to survive and it's like not that useful yeah (laughs) Yeah. right oh my god (laughs) so so i i really believe that that that's the reason why this stuff is so so powerful um, yeah yeah there is i mean so in my post-apocalyptic fiction yeah it's like every story about the end of the world is about the beginning of another right mm-hmm. like it is it's nested in there this sort of like promise that like things change and not everyone makes it but like n- something new is possible on the other side right mm. even if it's super brutal <laughs> it's something else <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I i also like admire that she came back to the genre when it's so there's so many people doing it right mm-hmm. now um well you got to do it in this like incredible like totally different way yeah mm-hmm. yeah I mean, that's that's honestly what it is, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have a, a question, and listeners who haven't read Severance, although I think we've passed the statute of limitations, so I'm not so worried about spoilers. Yeah. 
But I I want to ask the two of you how what you thought of of Shen Fever mm-hmm. and its reality. Mm. I don't there's, think this is a sp- no. people who are spoiler averse. This is like part of how the book. Yeah, goes. I mean, there's <laughs> a there's a, a particular moment where you sort of see somebody get struck with yeah. the fever in a way that I was like, ooh, there are layers on layers on layers that suddenly it's like you looked through a grate where you thought it was just sidewalk. Yeah, mm. um, and it it's the thing that has stuck with me the most about the book. This idea that like are these people irrevocably sick? Right. And what, like, what does it mean? Like the way you were talking mm-hmm. about the, the deadliness of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I, it made me wonder how much of it was actually a, like everyone just immediately, we're so conditioned by apocalypse stories to mm-hmm. be like, Oh fuck, we got zombies. That's yeah. it. <laughs> or like, was this something that actually could be, dealt with yeah mm-hmm. i i didn't see it as a zombie novel yeah i saw it I, even though like they are tech, they don't attack they like don't zombies, attack yeah so yeah. and they're not trying to spread it like mm-hmm. that but they they're just they're just stuck they're uh, stuck and they're like decaying stuck in their loop stuck in their yeah loop. yeah no that would see that would be the thing that's the really it, more than getting um <laughs> more than like choosing your mall uh <laughs> your, mall store. uh your mall home uh i think like what that's the terrifying thing is like mm-hmm. oh god what's my loop because right. i of course there i would mm. be stuck in one and i'm pretty sure it's just like me walking around my house like making sure like my oven is turned off and i have my keys <laughs> <laughs> like, like i think that i would just be in a constant loop of like the door. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh there it okay good now i can leave i'm like oh you know what i should check um so yeah. that's that was so i thought that was actually more it was horror yeah and it was almost more horrifying than as like i think it is it's a it's 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 a disease more and i think that you could get out of it mm-hmm. I, and i think that's what's so scary is like they are they still seem so close yeah. to the surface and yeah. and bob so the leader of candace's group is this sort of very interesting figure and he's he sort of rallies these people around him and he has rituals and he has he controls them and he says something to her in the beginning where is like well um when you're in a fictional scenario the only way you know how to behave is by is by from the fiction that you've read about Mm -hmm. it so like bob treats it like a zombie outbreak and that scene oh my god where they go um when they go stocking houses to get supplies and Mm. if it's a livestock or a dead stock meaning live are there still fevered people wandering around inside and do they need to be dealt with bob doesn't just let them they're harmless they're not hurting him yeah but bob thinks like well it's kind for us to put them down and it's oh that whole scene is just like so chilling because you're right they're still they're not dead right yeah you know but like also how much of being alive <laughs> late stage capitalism is just not being dead <laughs> yep. and like just doing these same things over and over again yeah. my loop is definitely wandering around my well <laughs> getting up from where i should be writing to like go sing to my cat and then come back <laughs> like that's the distraction loop <laughs> oh that's yeah i just think of the credits the opening credits from Shaun of the dead yes yeah where like the woman uh beep it doing the checkout line yep. and where you see it just rows and rows and rows stretching mm-hmm. back to infinity. Oh. Yeah. And yeah, the, the, the sort of the assumption too, is that people, it like comes on so quickly mm-hmm. and no one really, and no one knows. Right. Yeah. Oh. Except for like in the kind of Nordic countries <laughs> where hopefully <laughs> yeah. they've got a cure. I said this in the last episode, I think, um, but that like a lot of times, like books are just answering a series of questions mm-hmm. and there's so many good, like, Oh, she did think about that too. Yep. Like, yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know she thinks about what it looks like to actually like to watch someone go from unfevered to fevered like mm-hmm. she puts that down in yep. a way, and it's like harrowing and she finds the the drama and the nuance in all of that yeah stuff. yeah that i think that's the the scene for me that will live on from this book is that moment of yeah. her realizing oh and everything that that blows open about mm-hmm. the world of the book yep. yeah i think it's the um i think it's just the image of like thinking it looks like oh it's normal she's like cooking food for herself and mm-hmm. she's like watering her plants and then you look and like the plants are just like in these pools yes. of water because <laughs> she's been watering them like that i i think about that yeah I, I i think about the retainer that's mm-hmm. left and yeah. i think about that the scene it's like she and her her ex well they've 
they're just back together for that one night and matilda the storm is coming and there's that sort mm-hmm. of sense of like a party and then like everything goes to hell after the storm comes and the subways never get unflooded and like this sort of sense of like well this is this is the party right before the end of the world <laughs> like yeah. that scene mm. yeah Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, great. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just remembering the blog. I mean, like yeah. it's it really has oh, it's yeah. the beautiful part of the internet again, mm-hmm. like that 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 they get connected over there. Yeah, that she like goes around and takes all these pictures of like mm-hmm. you know, of emptiness and mm. and oh, I love the thing too about how all of the cultural institutions still have like security in front of them. Yeah. So like everything's abandoned, but it's not forgotten. <laughs> it's like yeah. there's still someone at Lincoln Center to make sure like yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. We're so fan we're fanning out on yes. this. Ling Ma listen Ling to Ma, this we episode. Love your book. If, you, <laughs> if you if you need a boost on on a day that you, it's hard to write, remember that there's three people yelling about your book. <laughs> um let's yeah, let's yell about other books we like. Sure. We read some pretty cool books. We recommend you Do you want to start? Yeah. Yeah, you should start. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to recommend a book um, because surprise, I feel like surprise. we've... Yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been the using... books are done. Yeah, books are over, man. Get <laughs> <laughs> uh, Go to a movie. Um, <laughs> no, I... Uh, I have a song like uh, I've been doing recently. Um, I have a song that I've heard and I keep listening to and I and I keep thinking like, oh, it's this type of song. It's like a Sufjan Stevens song. It's like um, orchestral, but then it has like this sort of like Andrew Bird Disney whistling in it. Um, <laughs> and it's a beautiful, uh, like, I don't know. There's all the types of like sweeping, you know, I, I, I would be surprised if there's not a mandolin in there somewhere. Um, even, even if just emotionally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spiritually, even if just like put it in there, just like <laughs> let the mandolin wash over. Um, this It's Jamie Drake, a song called Redwood Tree. Um, and I love redwoods too. So it's just a beautiful song. And um, if people weren't so crazy about it, I would play it on the episode, but you can, guys can go figure it out. Can it's you, on Spotify. Can you hum it? No, <laughs> no, it's it's actually too complicated. Like it really does a lot of different stuff within its three and a half minutes, and it's also like a it's also only about three and a half minutes, which I think pop songs shouldn't be longer yes. than four. So sure, sure, um, yeah, go listen to that awesome song. Cool, that's it. Cool, Kate. Um, I. It feels a little bit talking about snakes eating their own tails to recommend a podcast on a podcast. Mm. Yeah, do it. <laughs> but I recently just started listening to Switchblade Sisters. Mm. Ooh. It is hosted by April Wolf, who is a writer-director. Um, I believe she's both the writer and the director. She's either one or both of the new um, Black Christmas movie that's coming out. Mm. And Switchblade Sisters is specifically her um interviewing um women in genre filmmaking where they talk about their projects but then they talk about something that they super love so or like a a genre film that they super love so i listened to one um that was about um uh, oh and amy simon summits i think was the woman who was on she was talking about this insane canadian movie that i also saw on the disney channel called the peanut butter solution which literally (laughs) feels like a dream you had it is (laughs) Celine Dion does like the song for it. It's about a kid who sees ghosts and loses all his hair. And then like the ghosts give him a solution to grow the hair. It literally sounds like I'm having a stroke right now. (laughs) He grows the hair, but it won't stop growing. And then his art teacher is evil and captures him and uses the hair to make paintbrushes. Mm. Yeah. It's like, this sounds like one of those movies where like there's a whole movie in the first 15 minutes yeah. and then it's another movie. And yeah, there's like 18 movies in this, and that's kind of what their dis- their discussions about. It's like it's meant for children but it is it is deliberately surreal. Mm. Um and anyway, it's a great podcast. Oh, wow. Cool. <laughs> okay. I'm going to check that out. Um I'm going to recommend a book. Oh, crazy. Um my one of my three favorite authors of all time Jeff Vandermeer has a new book out. It's called Dead Astronauts. The the physical copy just showed up. I read a galley months ago. The physical copy is the single most beautiful normal run book I've ever seen. It's mm. like it's not the fancy cool limited like it's the boards have blue foil on the fronts Ooh. and the backs. The jacket is this like crazy psychedelic 
and the book is the book is so weird it is like jeff realized okay i've got a huge fan base now let me show them what i was writing before i wrote you thought the southern reach trilogy was weird you thought born was weird motherfuckers you haven't seen anything it's so weird and i think people are going to be very um (laughs) is it sort of like the guy who did deliverance now witness my zardoz (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) a little bit where it's like he just goes for it and puts an an uncompromising vision on the page and i've loved his work for a long time and it's so fun to see him like just get to play just Mm. go for it and also there were moments where i was like what the fuck is going (laughs) on and i was like well I trust that something's going to happen, so you got to keep going. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I really, I, I love it. That's nice. awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that like I worry about as a writer. It's like, I have a kooky premise. Did I live up to it? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> like, we think you did. We can attest. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you did. In Thank fact, you very much. You know, th- that's the final recommendation is go pick up Tuesday Mooney Toxic Ghosts. It's such a great book. You know what? Buy it now uh. and wait until next October to read it. No, read it now, too. <laughs> and then read and it then every read it again. Next October. Yes, and that's actually a, the right Buy term. a new copy every October. <laughs> line them up just 60 copies <laughs> they did i have to say speaking of gorgeous books Hotel this is Harcourt did it oh, beautiful cool. did you see like the boards too underneath yeah. the yeah um, they did that a little bit of texture yeah oh, cool so i love a book as an object yeah yeah mm-hmm. mm. thank you guys so much thank you oh. for coming on the show you're welcome and thank you to our listeners for listening I also want to recommend just going to check out um, Hayuchi Hotel. They're the band that has been giving us all of our bed music for a hundred million years. Um, it's their new newer project. Go check out their EP. It's so good. Hayuchi Hotel. Um, we also link to everything on our websites. You can go to patreon.com and support us if you want to do that. Um, we give cool pe- things to the people who pledge ten dollars uh, a month. We give cool people to the things. And you should also go on iTunes and review us. We really like that. Um, and we've got one more for you before the end of the year. Oh yeah! Ooh, Christmas episode is a coming. Yeah. Um, so we'll see you in two weeks. Yes, and thank you so much, Kate. Thanks, Kate. Thank you. Bye. Is this the part we edit out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs>